0: Hello, this is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. The end of the season is finally here. We'll be looking back on the best and worst of what the Premier League has had to offer with our end of season awards. We'll talk about the mega EFL playoffs, look ahead to the Europa League final. Oh, and remember those early season hot takes? Well, stay tuned to today's episode of The Times for more on that. I'm Hugh Wisencroft. Hello, Alison Rudd, Tom Clark, and Matt Dickinson. How are you? Very well, Hugh. Thank you. Yes, thanks. We're at the end, almost. <laughs> We're there, nearly, before the next bit. Exactly. This is the question because I was going to start by saying, you know, it's the end of the season. You can put your feet up. But there's a reality to this, which is that football never stops, of course. So, Matt Dickinson, Alison Rudd, Tom Clark, this is, this is only the beginning of what should be. A massively busy summer. Um, But but quickly, before we look ahead, let's look back on the season. Alison, how would you describe what we've just experienced?
2: Uh, Surprisingly political, rather emotional, drab sometimes. I don't think we can really overestimate how sort of seismic it was for the fans to protest and then get such a quick U-turn on the European Super League. I wrote a piece for the Sunday Times about the whole season. And I said, you you get the same placards outside the same embassies in London, year after year, not just week after week, year after year and decade after decade, and nothing changes. And you get a 1,000 fans outside of Stamford Bridge with their cardboard cutouts saying, no, you've got too many yachts, Roman, what about us? And they come out and say okay we're not doing it now complete u-turn and then it all folded like dominoes i think we took i don't know because we were living in it i don't think we realized quite how incredible that is
0: matt how did you experience
3: this season um i i guess relief mostly firstly that it, we sort of got it done um because you know there, there, i'm sure there were times when you know you ne- you never knew you know predicting anything in this in these uh uh, very crazy times is is tricky. So yeah, it's relief. Um, sort of seek enjoyment where you can. I mean, I, I take what Alison says about sort of the, the political side. Equally, you know, I do wonder whether I mean, in terms of just sort of the general, you know, week to week going back to matches, people are sort of craving just going back to normal. you know, I I think there's going to be some big, really interesting debates about whether you know everyone likes to say, oh well, you know, we'll never take fans for granted again or we'll, you know we'll never take football for granted again we'll never you know we, sh- we should take these lifelong lessons f- from this once in a you know century pandemic and um yeah i'll, I'll come back to you on, on those in uh six months a year f- five years because hum- human nature tends to sort of revert doesn't it so that that'll be interesting to to to
4: to, to monitor ahead just very, 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 very long season. It felt like a very long, drawn-out season. And I think the the nature of the way we've consumed football has affected that as well with the endless TV games and every single match being televised. For me, particularly as an editor, obviously, Alison and Matt and you, Hugh, get to go to the games and be out and about and experience them in an empty stadium. But watching them back-to-back back over and over again without fans, with the crowd noise, it felt very, very drawn-out and I'm glad it's over in that sense. And I think that is another victory for fans. Alison mentioned in a political sense, how it was a victory for the fans, but we only need to reflect back on, as we were doing on the FA Cup final, how joyous we felt watching all those supporters in the stadium and what a difference it made just watching on television, just to the experience and to the entertainment factor. In that sense, it's been a victory for the fans. And so I hope, as Matt alludes to, that we can learn learn from this. But um it's felt like a very long season, certainly.
2: But Tom, I, I do I think it did become um a little uh too much having every game available and staggered, so it was relentless. But can you not think back to how when that first began, how what a privilege it felt to be absolutely you know, when we're all yeah. cooped up indoors and we're allowed to watch every football match that's going. And that was another political um triumph for fans, wasn't it? The pay-per-view exercise was completely squashed very quickly. Band said no we're not going to pay but pay for it we're going to give the money to charity so that was great and then i there was a there was a sort of tipping point where it just all became too much but until then i still think it was a sort of wonderful thing that we were we we could we could do that when we could do very little else
4: yeah you're quite right we should be very grateful as we've said before on the podcast for football in these times of when we were all cooped up i think for me the end of last season such as it was slightly melds into this season and so it kind of feels a little bit like 12 months non-stop of particularly the premier league um I think maybe this is me saying it as a fan of a f- team in the football league um who had more of a break from watching my team when it comes to the the top flight uh, it's felt almost like a year long season uh, the end of one season merged straight into another one off we go here we go again um but no you're you're quite right we should be very grateful that football was able to continue in that way because it's provided some great light relief as I'm sure we're going to reflect on later.
0: Did we get used to the, the? I say the quality of the games? What I really mean is the sort of intensity level of the players, sometimes a little bit of apathy from both us watching at home and the players it seemed out there on the pitch because having the fans back over the last week has really given it an injection, especially the players. You know, it is it is definitely boosted by players being back in. Are we going to see you know, football get better and better over the coming weeks. Do you think, Matt?
3: Um, I think we'll see behaviour chat. I mean, that intensity brings, you know, great stuff because, as you say, it brings a freneticism. There's been a couple of games I remember going to when I'd think, right, if there were fans, you know, that that would sort of almost peter out and you'd think if there were fans here, particularly, when a home side's losing and you could just imagine that, you know, they would have, with the fans behind them, they would have almost been forced to throw the kitchen sink, sink at a, a comeback, whether it had worked or not. It would have changed the dynamic, perhaps, of the last, you know, particularly the last 10 minutes of a game if, if there had been fans there. You know, equally, when we see fans back, we'll, you know, we'll see. Um, uh, I think we've even seen bits of it over the last week or two of, of players, you um, Playing to the gallery, you know um, that the, we've seen refereeing has has sort of changed in shape a little bit without fans there, without that, you know, decision making changes. We'll see that come back. So yeah, there's there's all sorts of dynamics. Of you know, obviously the most important thing is is to get the fans back, and it was great. You know, I was at Man City yesterday, that Aguero moment, or well, the the two of them um, that we got to enjoy. I mean, you know, that was you know, that was spine tingling stuff, and and. Just to have ten thousand fans there, um, obviously, you know, gave it a whole sort of level of goosebumps that that just wouldn't have been there with with an empty
0: stadium. Alison, what was it like from a journalistic perspective? You know, at the time, was it harder to do your job over the past year?
2: No, no, I don't think so. Um, I my overwhelming sense is one of privilege to be allowed into the grounds. I never. I never lost that. And then when I did manage to go to that brief interlude where there were fans and then the final two uh, sessions of games, again, I thought that was, again, another privilege to be there when they were back and to be in a position to compare and contrast the empty stadium and the, the way that, you know, 10,000 or fewer fans can make as much noise as 40,000. To know that is true. I felt that was amazing and uh, the the problems have been ones that I'm almost embarrassed to say are problems but you would the way they set up the grounds for the media some did it better than others so at some grounds you didn't get monitors so you couldn't see replays of key incidents which is a bit stupid if you're reporting on the game because you want to make sure you get everything absolutely right. Um, <laughs> it was possible at some grounds to go there and not see a single colleague from another paper. They were so keen to sp- spread you out. There, were, there was so much of I thought, am I the only journalist here? I couldn't see anybody else at all. So, you, you And normally you're all, you're all so huddled together, you can smell who's got BO and who hasn't. So it was <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, 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 that, We need that, to name, just,
3: names. <laughs> name names. <laughs> <laughs> name I
2: mean, names at this point. The difference between the, crowd, the, the grounds, I mean, some grounds have been so officious and it's been quite hard, physically hard, to get in. Mm-hmm. You know, all the forms you fill in, and then it's not just forms and temperature check; it's just another form, and then an, another thing you have to do, and then don't go there; you must go there. And then some 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 clubs have been far more relaxed about it. I mean, some clubs are, where you park, you know, you have to park two two car park spaces apart. I mean, utterly crazy. But um, but it, the fact that it's been different to each club, but to to be allowed to see all that unfolding and also the staff of the clubs um, have been incredible just you know really good natured about it managed to combine knowing that times are different and yes they know that someone's going to turn up late because they're in a traffic jam and try and uh, not do things properly and they've handled all that sort of thing really well without any bust-ups or rowing they've, they've staffed these things really well and cleverly and sensibly so it's been though the annoyances such as not having power <laughs> in the seat that isn't really a press seat because it's a covid seat that that's annoying but it's offset by just everyone's attitude and everyone being incredibly helpful i mean a volunteer at sellhurst park she she was a volunteer she wasn't paid she was a volunteer and the the big screen in front of um that sits in front of the, the press seat sort of hangs down just went on the blink. And I said, you couldn't find someone to mend it, could you? And she just scurries off and tries to find somebody. I mean, she doesn't know who to find, but she she did. And she found someone It was incredible. So I think my overwhelming sentiment, Hugh, is one of feeling privileged to have been part of it and to be able to report upon it.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And there were, I think there's memories for those people that were allowed in the grounds when no one else was there that won't happen again. You know, I was coming into London on the tube when it was lockdown and, you know, having the freedom of London Underground to yourself is an experience that will never happen ever again. You know, to go from train to train to train, platform to platform to platform and not see another soul, you know, like a scene out of 28 Days Later was something that I experienced many, many times. But to go to a football ground like the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and to walk through the corridors of beautiful marbled halls of their new ground or to walk in the in the underground belly of the Emirates Stadium and walk out next to a corner flag and then to walk along the pitch up up to your seat, you know, and the same at Craven Cottage, you know, something that's not going to happen again and again, not see anyone on your way or on the way out bump into players who are on the way to their cars and having a chat about the game and stuff. You know, it was, it was strange totally unique in many ways but again it was a massive massive privilege um tom how did you find it just finally on this um pulling everyone together your team to make stories to go to games you know how did everyone find it well obviously alison and matt both absolutely faultless professionals i'm not got a bad word to say about either of them um
4: everyone else less so uh, I, I think it was fine i think that's from an editorial point of view i think that slightly adds to my um a sense of, oh, thank God it's over. Because it did feel relentless. The match list when it goes round and you're discussing it with your colleagues and what matches have we got tonight? You know, from an editorial point of view, that does detract then from those special midweek nights when there's a couple of games on a Wednesday and it's great you can really get into in stuck into that and your your planning articles and your planning features. And it's just the relentless nature of it means you you can't ever really give as much love or as time to, to an idea or to a piece of journalism as you perhaps might want to. And so that, that maybe adds to my sense of my God, thank God that's over. Um, (laughs) And that we can maybe just have a bit of breathing space. You know, we've got a Europa League final, but there's a few days leading up to it. Then we've got a Champions League final. There's a few days leading up to it. We've not got to fit in Wolves against Aston Villa on the Thursday night and Fulham against Crystal Palace on the Friday at six o'clock. Just let's, let's take some time and enjoy and,
0: what we've got ah, oh, but tom tom so naive maybe the broadcasters have seen that they make more advertising revenue i know and well that's what more viewers me. That's if what the games me. are all separate at different times and that means who knows we might see a similar fixture list continue in future uh, for some time yet let's move on though to the actual stuff that happened on the pitch rather than us up in the stand With our end-of-season awards, which I've wanted to give out for a while, I don't know why I'm obsessed with these, but a bit like predictions, I wanted to ask you guys uh, three or four, you know, not too many awards that I think we should give out. The first one, obvious, I think. Player of the season in the Premier League. Well, my vote... um went for the
3: for the fwa one went to uh went to de bruyne which um i was uh on on the wrong side of that argument in the sense of ruben ds won it but um I, I just you know watching de bruyne again yesterday and you know five of his passes i'd i'd stick in a museum basically um <laughs> you know that they're, they're, they're just that good there's the it's just the weight on the pass that he gets that those you know those vertical through balls when you got Sterling or someone else cutting in, and it's just yeah, it's like it's like he has measured it um, to the inch. So you know, I could sit and watch and 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 talk about him all day. So yeah, if you just want one player that got my vote, but you know, equally yeah it was it was incredibly close Diaz absolutely deserved his award um if you know if you talk about one performance i would actually say it was harry kane at uh, southampton when he set up um some four of his goals i mean he was but, you know, we're talking about a world class number 9 who played like a world class number 10 um it was just magical to watch um i could keep going on but i'll i'll stop i'll stop there for now
0: alison <laughs>
2: Uh, Well, Matt's touched on it, but I mean, and and there's no argument. Harry Kane was the individual player of the season. I don't don't see why you have to pick a Man City player when, just because they won the title, they won the title with everyone contributing. It's really hard, I think, to pick out one individual. Whereas the outstanding player of the season is Harry Kane, king of the assists, as Matt has indicated. Not just assists, but beautiful assists. Won the Golden Boot in a dysfunctional team. And he's reinvented himself without losing any of that ability to be a selfish striker at the same time. Incredible stuff. He just, you know, he never used to particularly blow me away. But this season, I just think, oh, my goodness, that's, that's that. And he's had, the re- he's had the sort of the attention of will he stay, will he go? It's been rumbling along, rumbling along. He's had the stupid all or nothing documentary to to handle. And he still produces the goods. He is the outstanding individual of the season. There's no argument.
0: Yeah, picking up the Premier League's golden boot and the Playmaker Award, which I didn't know was a thing until I saw him photographed with it yesterday, but there you go. Um, I also think it's unfair, but that's a totally different podcast as well. Uh, Tom, (laughs) your player of the season? All very, very valid mentions from the
4: the guys so far, but I'm going to go for Patrick Bamford. Firstly, because, as i would mentioned on the podcast before, I didn't expect him to be as good or as impressive as he's been. I think a lot of other people at the start of the season thought this might he might be a guy who's one of these quite good, very good in the championship, not quite good enough for the Premier League. He's been absolutely superb for Leeds, symbolic of everything that Bielsa does. And I also think some of those more recent comments in post-match interviews and things are the kind of thing that we need modern footballers to do more often speak honestly about the game and their position and their standing
0: in it Um, so yeah I'm going for Patrick Bamford Uh, a difficult one for me Um, I have chosen a Manchester United player this is more comeback of the season than player of the season but player that I've hammered many many times deserves it Luke Shaw uh, back in the England fold left back and I think he had a well a really really strong season Harry Kane for me is the, the best and outstanding player of the season but a bit like Tom I wanted to pick a player who again I think I've, I've said so many negative things about that I might as well praise him when I get the opportunity so at the fa- my, sorry, my player of the season was Luke Shaw um, favourite player to watch in the Premier League though I think Matt you might have already said it's Kevin De Bruyne
3: well he's got the player but in terms of favourite one to watch I'm going to go um, I think you might not be surprised by this one when I just say um a certain guy plays for Crystal Palace, Mr. Eze, who, you know, I think, to be honest, I'm just thrilled that he has shown, you know, watching him at QPR over the last few years, you know, you used to just, you know, he, he would, he could redeem any afternoon, however bad, just with one drop of a shoulder, just with one turn, with one, you know, you just, there are certain players that just get into your bones because you just love the way they move, everything about them. And I'm just thrilled that he has shown that instantly as soon as he stepped up into the Premier League is gutting that he seems to now have a, a pretty serious Achilles injury but I mean everyone has seen some of the goals he scored this season you know running through Sheffield United defence and, and tapping it into the, into the net like he's wearing slippers the whole game you know he's just got there's something special about him in just that the, you know his physicality the way he he sways around a pitch and yeah i'm just thrilled that he, he's doing it at the at the top of the game now
0: excellent player and yeah hopefully he's back from that injury uh, very very soon for palace's hopes next season Alison? Uh, this is
2: very easy nat phillips he's supposed to be a championship player in fact he was supposed to be a championship player he was supposed to be in the championship right now it didn't
0: he probably didn't will off. Be next season to say no he
2: didn't come off so he was necessarily thrown in at the deep end and yes made lots of mistakes he's slow on the turn he just doesn't look like an elite level player and yet it has been his performances that have ground out sufficient points for liverpool to be able to be in the champions league next season and i just like the sort of disconnect of seeing him do what he does and it doesn't look quite right because he's playing for the mighty reds and yet it works and I bet there's a lot of Liverpool fans who will end up with a huge soft spot for him for many years to come.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they will. Tom Clark. I thought I was going to be the only person picking a
4: defender in this character category, but it turns out not. I'm going to go for Wesley Fofana at Leicester. I think he's just absolutely unbelievable in so many different uh, qualities and attributes. He's got that kind of very cliched Rolls Royce element about him bringing the ball out from the back, but he also loves flying into a tackle. Full, full-blooded, full fully committed. He's been superb and he's only 20. I can't believe every time I watch him play that he's only 20 years old. And for Leicester to have, I think they paid around 35 million for him for a 20-year-old that not many people had heard of. For him to look that good and have that much potential, I only hope his injury isn't as bad um, as, as some people are suggesting. But I've just loved watching him whenever he's played. He's played in a back four, in a back five, in a back three, Always looks class. He was fantastic in the FA Cup final. I can't wait to watch him progress.
0: I shouldn't say this as a Manchester United fan. I've bigged up Luke Shaw. But I've got to say my favourite player to watch in the Premier League has to be Phil Foden. Um, uh, he's just, it's ridiculous really. You know, like you see the compare, you hear the comparisons about Gascoigne um, and how good Phil Foden might be compared to him. And it's, I, I, the more you watch him, the more you think he could easily surpass at Gascoigne particularly in an England shirt and maybe bring back a trophy for us but yeah I mean he could win a European cup this week as well but his impact what well, I think he's double figures for goals and assists 16 goals 10 assists as well young young player I, not even 20 I don't think 19 is he at the moment uh, I, what he could do is just yeah boggles the mind um it's just a shame he plays for Manchester City as I say because you probably never get the credit with the great British public either playing for Man City for the next decade as he will but um but yeah, uh, incredible to watch. I got to see him at Brighton last week uh, going up against, you know, Webster at the back and the big, you know, the big centre-halves that Brighton have. And he was just, it was just, you know, he has that element of a Rooney and a going to him. You know, this is a player that has been, I think, you know, taken out of stockport. It, it just looks like that when you see him because he has that grit, determination. He just doesn't stop. You know, pair that with the talent, and I just think he's going to be prodigious. But we'll see, we'll see. But yeah, love watching Phil Foden. Right to our manager of the season, which I thought would have been quite straightforward, Matt.
3: Um, straightforward for David Moyes, is that what you're saying? Is, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm going to give him a, uh, I'm going to big him up because I think I, I just like that he's re, you know. Never mind, obviously, just what 's happened with west ham 's um, season of making Europe, and obviously you know there was a time when we thought they might might make the the top four but i just i 'm just really chuffed to see his reputation restored um, you know that is that is a basket case of a club to to be a manager at it comes with all kinds of baggage and complications um, dealing with you know managing up dealing with the directors and uh, owners is as complicated as managing down dealing with a group of of, of thirty players and um, and then you've got fan expectations it's not been the easiest place to um, to be at because of a lot of tension and angst around the place so for him to have done all that um you know, I think you've seen the improvement in individuals you've seen just a lot of good stuff and also you know it's been some there's been some thrillers as well you know it's not it's not been dull football so yet um pep Guardiola is a genius, Bielsa's had uh, a fantastic impact on the Premier League, great to watch, but um, I'm giving uh, I'm giving Moyes my vote. Alison Rudd?
2: I'm going to eat humble pie and give it to Bielsa, I think, as I really, really <laughs> thought he was going to fall flat on his face. I just didn't see. He seemed like a one-trick pony. Oh, great, they're going to be super fit leads. Well, they're going to burn out, aren't they? I think he must be a magician to have just kept them going and going. In fact, if anything, they got better towards the tail end of the season. So that is remarkable, I think. And also the two other promoted clubs went eh, eh, and he kept them afloat, better than afloat. Um, very good record against the traditional top six. Always gave you a surprise. They weren't always brilliant. Sometimes it did did flop a little bit, but overall I I'd like to know what it, what it is he does other than ball to keep them
0: looking so good. Yeah, 18 wins, ninth in the table, pretty good, pretty good for a first year in the in the Premier League. Uh, Tom Clark, I'm not going to dwell too much on Leeds because I have a
4: feeling we're all going to have to eat some more humble pie later <laughs> on in the show. Um, so I'm going to go for Dean Smith at Aston Villa for manager of the season. Just very quietly got on with a job of improving a club that finished 17th and that could have been relegated. They made some very, very clever and astute signings He's improved people who were, who was already there and he's had to do it without Jack Grealish for certain parts of the season. So Dean Smith's my vote. Well, it's
0: an in- interesting one, isn't it? I mean, it could have gone to so many people, you know, Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola. Someone's got to say Pep Guardiola. I mean, they won the league. He reinvented I thought you'd side. be going
4: for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Second is basically first against this City team.
0: But you're right, Tom Clark. You know, I think <laughs> Oli Gunnar Solskjaer does deserve a lot of credit for what he've, he's done, particularly from me, you know, Oli Basher from time to time. I think Manchester United were pretty good. They went the whole season unbeaten away from home as well. Uh, it, you can't strictly say it to him. He has a pretty good squad and a very, very big squad, and that helped with the relentlessness of the fixtures that we mentioned already. Uh, Roy Hodgson once again doing what he does. Sad to see him go from from Crystal Palace. Steve Bruce at Newcastle. I mean, everyone thought they would flop. Come on, Bru- what Tom Brucey?
4: Uh, you know, you know, you're trying to wind them up there. I can, I can see it in your oh, face. That little glint 12th. in your eye.
0: Sorry, they finished 12th. You've just given it to Aston Villa, who finished 11th. Yeah, fair enough. Fair okay, enough. good. <laughs>
2: you're just listing managers. This is not how it works.
0: Yes, you've got to Come pick on. one. That's true. Come on, you've got no, to pick no. one. Well, I, I would pick Pep Guardiola. I think Manchester City were superb for that period of time. They were winning week in, week out. I think they went on, what, one of the longest winning runs. They went on the winning, longest winning run away from home as well, didn't they? It's a joint record. So... I just think they they don't get the credit maybe that they deserve as an 11 out there on the pitch because of the the amount of money that's been spent and the quality of, of how the club is being run right now. But I don't think anyone would have thought the way they started the season and the way that everyone has had to cope with the pandemic, that Manchester City would really cruise to the title in the way that they did. So they deserve credit for that, as does their manager. So, yes, I would I would definitively pick Pep Guardiola at Manchester City happy with that ish
4: yeah but go on
0: we'll yeah carry on. Uh, okay yes yeah.
2: it's, um, it's, it's unimaginative but it's fine <laughs>
0: <laughs> well maybe my pick for club of the year will be a little bit uh, more imaginative Alison um but what's your pick to begin with
2: well you can't have club of the season that's in the top six because uh I mean the traditional top six because they're all baddies because they all thought they could break away so, if we're talking about the club of the season and integrity and the sort of holistic approach to what it is you support and what your club stands for, they are out of it i it's a complex one that because I think a lot of those clubs are did also parallel wise did some good things, so you know helping out local charities in the pandemic and you know having individual players who who did good things uh, have been let down by their owners? But I just don't think you can say as a club, a club like Liverpool, who a, a great um, do great work in the community. I'm not going to call them club of the season because they were part of the of the breakaway. So I would go for club of the season being Aston Villa, who are run very ethically. They've moved away from having gambling sponsorship on their shirts. They were at the forefront of the taking of the knee and the continuance of the taking of the knee they backed their manager when some might have said oh you nearly got um, nearly nearly got um relegated last season is he the right person to bring us on I said stuck that. With yeah. Smith. Thanks. um so <laughs> I would I would um I would say as a club villa seems sort of just completely full of integrity and they've done not too badly on the pitch as well
0: Tom what do you think not quite as um
4: going in for those kind of things off the pitch that Alison is very right to mention Um, but I'm going to go for West Ham similar to my point about Dean Smith and Villa they finished 16th last season which you almost forget about with how well they've done this season Um, but Alison mentioned it there breaking into the top six gang of baddies Um, but also just as a team and as a club they've become more likeable if that makes sense you know I've got lots of friends who have enjoyed laughing at West Ham down the years and making jokes about them. or oh, they're a big club, but look at them down near the bottom, scrapping away relegation. Now, I think under Moyes with the way that they play both, you know, full blooded tackles, but also counter-attacking with pace, particularly the addition of Jesse Lingard, I think took them on to the next level. Um, in that sense, lots of very likable players. Suchek could easily have yeah. been mentioned in player of the year. We didn't. Mikel Antonio is a great player to watch and seems like a, a great guy to be around. I'd love to go for a drink with Mikel Antonio. Um, <laughs> So I th- I'm going to go for West Ham.
0: They seem like the replacements, which makes them more likable. They've just got a lot of players. It seems like all cobbled together, you know, Craig Dawson, it's a Diop, yeah. and you just throw a Fabianski in there, who was a laughing stock before, and he's got the nickname Flappianski. And then you've got this right back who found none of us saw coming. And of course, Salchek you mentioned already, but Antonio, who's not really a striker, but scores all these goals and, and the celebrations. And there is more of a personality about West Ham United this season. So yeah, I agree with you on that one. Go on, Matt. Uh, I'd say for quite parallel reasons, Leeds United.
3: Um, I think you know to to, to to come back up. As Alison was talking about, with doubts of um, questions about Bielsa and how you know the, the star would adapt. I think the fact that obviously Leeds, you know, covered them very closely when they became you know the ultimate cautionary tale of of financial Armageddon. Um, you know, they've sort of sunk, sunk and it, You wondered it might be without trace at times or the whole place was just going to implode and they've come back and bec- thanks to BLs there it's a it's a different incarnation of the club it's a, it's a likeable incarnation um and you know Leeds Leeds um I mean I you know I lived there for a few years and started watching football there where it was you know it let's just say you you, you struggled to like them even if even if you lived there and paid to watch them at times i mean it was uh it was a pretty wild place. Um, this is this is going way back to the um, ancient history, the 1980s. Some of you guys won't have heard of it, um, but yeah, they're 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 back. Uh, they are in the top half of the league. They've got a you know just one of the most intriguing managers we've seen in the Premier League top flight. Full full stop. Um, they've played some really fascinating football, and um, it's good to have them
0: back. I think I will go for Leicester City as the uh, club of the year. I just think they become everyone's favourite second team and the FA Cup final, I think, was just, it was standout. It was an emotional event, but again, it was just a club that I think for many people done things the right way. They got a good manager. They play good football. They're good to watch, but um, they're still punching slightly above their weight. Just sad they couldn't make it to the Champions League in the end. But I think there was so there was that evocation of of what had happened in 2016. I think there were those memories came back this year as well. So just for the romance of the tale, I've gone for Leicester City. Um, some negative ones. Um, I think you've got to throw them in there, don't you? Letdown of the year. This one's a club as well. Um, underachievers. Allison.
2: Everton Carlo Ancelotti's never finished as low as 10th before in his career. What well, I mean what a disappointment. Oh, they've, they've they've had some great players. Everyone was drooling over James Rodriguez for example. Oh Alan, oh he's going to be midfielder of the year. I don't know. I think they've been real flops. Absolute flops. They don't seem to have gone forwards, they've gone backwards. I probably wouldn't have picked them if there hadn't been so much gush at the start, but there was. And when it clicked, they did look nice, but they ruined Guilfi Sigurdsson in most people's eyes, and that's that's just a
3: travesty. <laughs> I gave him three out of ten, Alison. Just, just I, was, I actually thought of you as I typed that number in yesterday at Manchester <laughs> City. Um, knowing that we were going to have this chat and I was I was actually almost bracing myself for a berating
2: I don't blame you it's just been a dreadful season it, it, that's just part of it
3: Carlo said they did point out they are 10 points better off I mean given the investment and everything else I'm not disputing your broader point he, he did say you know people will say because we've had a flat end but he did point out they're 10 10 points uh improved on last year but given the investment and some of the players they've got, I would have thought they should be at least that.
2: Well, it's fizzled out and fizzled out. And I I would say the word flop, if that's what we're talking about, really does apply to Carlo Ancelotti and to the team. Matt Dickinson,
0: who have you gone for?
3: Um, I'd go for Arsenal um, without much hesitation, to be honest. I was there on the opening day of the season at uh, Craven Cottage. The sun shone, um, the pitch was perfect and Arsenal waltzed to a three nil win um looked fantastic uh william looked like you know what a sign. you know he looks like a shrewd signing um obama yang scored a beauty gabrielle came in and, and looked great and you thought wow that you know this looks like a team that's going places and um where they're going is not into europe um for the first time in is it 25 years um and you know, there's it took a sort of um, reboot of the team. It took, yeah, so much angst this season. So, I mean, some horrific performances along the way. Um, you know, Mikel Arteta is a, a youngish manager still finding his way in the game, but um, there's some
4: very, very painful lessons this season. Tom, I've cheated, Hugh, I'm afraid. So you can disqualify me from this round if you like, but the, there's no club that has let me down more than a person has let me down. And that person is Pep Guardiola. And I'm going to tell you why. He (laughs) won the title. He could have given me what I wanted, which was get Edison up front or in midfield for 20 minutes or something. Let him take a penalty. And instead, all this nonsense of, oh, let's give Scott Carson a game. No one wants that, Pep. All right, we're living in tough times. Let's give us something to laugh about. This guy's got a great left peg. Let him take a free kick, maybe a corner. Let him take a penalty. You let me down, Pep. You let me down. The only thing that can save you now is, you know, Champions League semi, Champions League final, nil, nil, extra time, nil, nil, goes to penalties. City win it 10-9, Edison scores, scores the winning pen. It's the only way he can redeem himself. But even then, I'll
0: still, I'll never forgive him. <laughs> Two teams for me were let big letdowns this season, I've got to say. Firstly, Tottenham Hotspur, who, as we all know, I predicted would finish in the top four. They were a joke, an absolute disaster under Jose Mourinho, which we we all knew that would happen, let's be perfectly honest. Just didn't realise it was going to happen so soon in the middle of the season, but the meltdown was inevitably going to come. And look, they just have not been anywhere near good enough. Tottenham fans should be absolutely distraught that Harry Kane's going to leave off the back of a season like that as well. I mean... But for me, Liverpool, of course, Premier League champions, runaway champions last year, third this year. I don't know how many points behind, 30 probably. Yeah, disastrous season. Thankfully, they got into the Champions League on the final day. Otherwise, it would have been a total, total disaster. But I expected much more from them. Obviously, we all did and they just never delivered.
2: That is seen through the prism of being a Manchester United
0: fan <laughs> view. From no, the Liverpool no, no.
2: fans' point of view... It's been an incredibly difficult season and they they could have imploded and instead they pulled themselves together and got a very important Champions League place. So they, I think they, they end in credit. They end in credit.
0: Yeah, they end in credit, but they did implode. It was just far earlier in the season. For me, given the talent that was on the pitch, most of the games, everyone says, are oh, the two centre-backs. Yeah, OK, but nine players started most games who had either won a Champions League or a Premier League, more than enough talent to be beating teams in the bottom five at home. And, and they've just, those results, you you, you, you know, you'd, you'd think Liverpool had nine players on the pitch, the way that people speak about, you know, how the injuries affected them this season. It wasn't that bad. They had 11 players. They didn't play well enough. They were a letdown. I expected them to challenge for the title when I think everyone should have expected them to do far better. You know, I had to point out, I think that after the, the injuries to Van Dijk and Gomez, they only, won- they only lost one game in about the next 18 matches. So it's not like, oh, the injuries killed our season. You just hit a point where you were very, very poor. And and for me, you know, the, the one that Liverpool fans will really care about is me awarding them my letdown of the year. So, you know, it's a painful <laughs> end to the season. Um, <laughs> just finally, our flop of the year. This is a player who we expected a lot more from and they just fell flat on their face. Alison? If you were to
2: collate everything I've written for the paper over the past season, I've covered Chelsea quite a lot and I have slaughtered um, Timo Werner almost in every match report. He's either been offside when he shouldn't be offside. He's offside a lot. I mean, he's offside a lot, but he's also offside when it's not noted. He's just offside. When other things are happening and so it's like he spends his whole life offside he's um i don't doubt his effort and his keenness but he given his price tag and how he was built up and the fact that chelsea's top scorer is jorginho a double six player who just takes penalties and hasn't scored not from the spot he he's not contributed the way he was supposed to I think he could come good because uh, he's got pace and that's basically what you need. But for goodness sake, at this level of football, does he not know what offside is? It's ridiculous. So probably the flop really technically has to be Timo then
3: well, Was it Ferguson once said of uh, Inzaghi that he was born offside? I always think of that yeah. line when I see Timo Verne. <laughs> Who's your flop of the year, Matt? I preface it with I don't want to be too mean to a 21-year-old, but if you are... A club's record signing, and you play 30 games for that to uh, make 30 appearances for that club, and you're a striker and you do not score a single goal as Rianne Brewster has endured at Sheffield United, and your team gets relegated. That's quite hard to avoid, isn't it? Um, what was it, twenty twenty three million 23 million quid for a striker? Um, and yeah, um, yeah, no goals. Uh, you know, I, I say, I uh, He's, he's he's young. He's still got plenty of uh, chance to, to to bounce back, but
4: that's that that's not a signing that's worked out as a, as anyone hoped. I, I, it's a really tough one. I'm torn between two players. One of them is Thiago Alcantara for Liverpool, um, because I know I'm sure Alison, she's already pulling a face and already <laughs> making obscene <laughs> gestures at me. But uh, I know he struggled with injuries and things, but. He was he was brought in off the back of you know playing for Bayern Munich and being one of their stars, and I just I'd, I haven't watched him in a game and thought, "Wow, this guy's one of the best midfielders in the world." I've thought you're actually causing more problems than bringing solutions here. Oh, um, that's
2: so trendy to say that. Mm.
4: <laughs> I think that I think that counts as a nibble, um, but uh, I, I, I think it's also worth mentioning Willian at Arsenal because I, as we've discussed before. Mikel Arteta has needed his experienced players to step up and they've let him down time and time and time again this season. He was brought in for a lot of money, we believe, and has definitely not justified that. Finally scored that free kick a few weeks ago, but has been poor and has been symbolic of everything that's wrong with
0: Arsenal, I think, this season. Uh, I'd go for the myth, Gareth Bale. I'm surprised Alisson didn't go for him. It doesn't really (laughs) matter to me that he scored some goals towards the end of the season and in the Europa League as he got his fitness back and stuff like that I mean for two-thirds of the season he had barely played for Tottenham Hotspur I mean for the money that he's making in excess of 300,000 pounds a week from Spurs I think the rest from from Real Madrid I mean and the comments that he made you know coming out and saying well the plan was always to go back to Madrid and I, I was always going to come here to get my fitness for the Euros Wow. I mean, Tottenham Hotspur fans must be music to your ears. I mean, as great as Gareth Bell's been historically, I just think you, you know, they got about as much as they got from Deli Alley this season, or in Dombele, to be perfectly honest. And, you know, I. Uh, Yeah, it has to be Gareth Bale for me, but there you go. Um, Look, we've got loads more to discuss uh, coming up. Those were our end of season awards, uh, some of them positive, some of them not. But we had to be honest with you as we are each and every week on the Game Podcast. Uh, In a moment, we're going to look ahead uh, to the Europa League final involving Manchester United. But remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast from. And remember, you can subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times right now. If you do so, you will get yourself one month free. Just go online, search the times.co.uk forward slash the game to get started.
1: One size fits all. Seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare. That's why United healthcare offers flexible budget friendly coverage for medical vision, dental, and more learn more at uh one.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds at mint mobile. We like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot,
0: Manchester United finished second in the Premier League. They faced the side who are seventh in Spain's La Liga, Villarreal, in Wednesday's Europa League final. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's side are the overwhelming favourites as the Yellow Submarine play in their first major European final. I think for me it's the kind of fixture... Uh, that makes you think clubs shouldn't drop out of the Champions League and into the Europa League. To be perfectly frank, um, Matt, I wonder how much does Ole Gunnar Solskjaer need to win this trophy?
3: Need. I mean, I think you know the border undoubtedly behind him. You know, whatever happens, but you know, I think winning, winning any trophy. You know, we've seen plenty of sort of big regimes that have sort of started off with the uh, the League Cup and and built from there. I think you know, top managers say that you know, winning becomes a habit. It, it becomes something that. Yeah, you, know, you can you can use to to inspire and and propel a moment, uh, a regime forward. So I think it it matters because it's that that feeling, isn't it? It's that feeling of right, this is this is what we're about. Um. So yeah, I, I don't. He doesn't. He doesn't need it because you know his job's on the line. But it it will give added impetus, and any manager
0: wants that. Is it a failure, Tom, if they don't win? the Europa League for Manchester United?
4: I think so. I think they're favourites and I think they've got a team and a squad capable of beating Villarreal. I think it would be interesting to see them cope without Harry Maguire. I'm not sure how you feel as a Manchester United fan the idea of Eric Bailly and Victor Lindelof being your centre-hearts. There's also a very interesting question around which goalkeeper you're going to pick. The idea to me that Dean Henderson might start a Europa League final ahead of someone like David De Gea is bordering on lunacy from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, but we will see. There's obviously, clearly, must be some kind of politics at play with the De Gea situation because how a guy who had one one good season for Sheffield United can suddenly usurp someone of De Gea's stature and experience? I, I don't, I don't understand it. So I think there's actually a, quite a lot riding on this with those kind of decisions. If they don't, if they don't come off, because realistically, Manchester United should be winning this final. And then, you know, let's let's be honest. Second to this Man City team. And winning a trophy, that will silence people like me and
0: you, who, who are slagging him off all the time. Mm, maybe, maybe you.
4: <laughs> maybe
0: me. Um, uh, yeah, look, uh, you, you're right to mention all those um, factors. Harry Maguire could well be missing. Manchester United haven't kept a clean sheet in the last uh, seven games. Um, and look, it, it's massive for the club. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer says it's a step on getting Manchester United back where they should be. Alison, I've been having an argument with friends around where Manchester United can get to next season with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in charge, and I know a lot rides on the summer. But people seem to think after finish second, finishing second this year, they should be challenging next year, and they certainly should be picking up the Europa League. Uh, do you agree?
2: Yeah, that seems perfectly sensible to me. Um, they'll probably—I don't know who they will get, but if they're talking about, they're talking about um harry kane doesn't mean they'll get him but it means they're prepared to spend big money so if they don't get harry kane they should spend that money wisely which is what you have to do if you want to compete with um manchester city
0: haven't done massively well though over the previous five years no no,
2: absolutely not but you know edward Wood's gone who yeah, presumably someone with um an ability to walk into a sweet shop and buy sweets and not rice will come in and take over instead <laughs> so uh, it can only get better on that front
0: Another big shout in terms of recruitment at Manchester United.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I, I haven't, unlike you and Tom, Hugh, I haven't slagged up um, Oleg and his Solskjaer all season. I think right from the start, I thought he has what it takes. I think he's steely and he's connected and he's exactly the right manager. But I do think he really needs to win the Europa League to silence doubters such as yourselves that he is going in the right direction. He's learning how to um, just, just set up a team for those one-off games so that it matters. I mean, I think the broad picture of going unbeaten away from home, it doesn't really count in a pandemic season because away and home are the same, but it's still a good stat and shows that overall, these, this is a team that buys into his style of management and they don't have to, to, to sort of manage a match through. So let's take that to the next level and let's see him do that In the final. Also, I think United have become more entertaining to watch as the season has progressed. Cavani has been a fantastic addition, really watchable, very important. He doesn't always do a lot, but what he does is really quite, you know, A star level. He's, He's very, very classy. And people say, oh, that rubs off on the. There's a lot of young players at United, and, you know, he's a great tutor to have there. So I think they are moving in the right direction. I think they're getting better, more incisive. Um, I think they will win the final. They certainly ought to and it, I think it would be a step step backwards for Solskjaer if they didn't actually because they've it, it feels like the it ought to happen. Definitely.
0: See, I, I think the away record shows that Manchester United have, have virtually perfected playing with their backs against the wall, which is the way Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has basically set them up the whole time. You know, counter-attack, break on teams. They've scored some fantastic goals, to be fair to them, this season. But when they need to dominate control games, be on top, play in the opposition half, still think they find it difficult to break teams down and be really creative. Although I'm enjoying Paul Pogba being at further forward, playing off the left-hand side, where I think he, he does do some of his best work. Um, but Matt, do you think Unai Emery, who I'm sure you've watched, you know he's won three Europa League titles does he have something up his sleeve for Manchester United? He'll be
3: trying something about I think you know there's no doubt United are favourites I mean Villarreal um what do they finish seventh in the Mm -hmm. in La Liga and you know a big old chunk off um you know significantly off the top four so you know there's no absolutely no doubt I mean Villarreal themselves are one of those sort of remarkable clubs I mean they're you know they've been punching. Way above their weight for for quite some time in in European competition, I and mean, you actually, you know, when you whenever you go there and go to that little town and just see how small the, the place is, you're, it's a sort of seems like a miracle that that they can they have competed at the top end of European competition over the last decade or so. It's um, the scale of that club compared to United. It's 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 no comparison, and and that's just one of the reasons that United will be
0: expected to uh, to take this one home. Before we go, let's find out how we did as the foreseers of the future, footballing Nostradamuses. Look into our crystal footballs, uh, what we said would happen this season, and find out just how right or wrong we were about it all. I'm, I'm saddened to say we're doing this. Tom Clark. Explain more. Well, this was my idea, was it? What well, <laughs>
2: stupid, <laughs> stupid
0: idea! I can't
4: believe you're publicly pinning this on me. No, well, I just think it's nice for journalists sometimes to open themselves up to a bit of criticism and see, show that we are human. And have you not seen Twitter? No, I know, but they love us really, Matt. They love us really. But also, I just we offer so much great insight and so many great and accurate predictions on this podcast. I think it's just nice to show that we're human sometimes and that we do get things wrong. So, um, our producer John has trawled back through the archives and found some clips of us. I think, Matt, luckily for you, you're getting away scot-free here because you weren't on the big prediction show. But uh, unfortunately for myself, Alison and Hugh, we were. So I think... <laughs> and uh, Gregor Robertson, who's not with us today because he's expecting his first baby, which is exciting for him, he features as well with, I think, an excellent prediction or two. So uh, John's got a few clips ready for us.
3: I think Arsenal have got a real kind of cause for optimism. And I think they could perhaps... Make it into the top four.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic! He's always seen as the the wise oracle of the game podcast, isn't he? He's played the game; he knows exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> no, absolutely moronic prediction from Gregor Robertson. Happy days, by the way, Gregor. If you're listening, good luck with the baby and all that. But you know,
0: these are going to be so taken out of context, the incredibly short clips. That means that we're, like, I can't look good coming out of this. It's
3: impossible. I'm so oh. glad I'm not on any of these. I'm. I'm. I'm just. I thought you guys be getting cold
4: sweats at this moment. I am. I am. Well, Hugh, let's see if Gregor was the only one who had certain things to say about Arsenal.
0: I don't think Arsenal are going to be top four, but I do think Spurs are going to sneak into the top four. And I know a lot of people will say that's, utter claptrap <laughs> <laughs> utter claptrap it was turned out to be completely right with the
4: second prediction that you made there Hugh
0: never mind they bottled it they bottled it they bottled it that's all I can say they've let me down not a strong start for Hugh
4: or Gregor Alison wonder what you predicted at the start of the season
2: I've decided I'm going to have faith in Frank Lampard ever since that moment in the quarterfinal where he hauled off three youngsters at half time yes he's got it so let's <laughs> assume Chelsea are back in business Roman Abramovich spends the money, expects results. I think Frank just about has what it takes to do it, and I just, I just think City are stuck in a rut.
4: Oh, double whammy for Alison there. (laughs) I believe in Frank Lampard, and City are stuck in a rut. That is tough to take. How do you feel, Alison, listening back?
2: I don't know who that was.
4: You're never going to (laughs) speak. This, this is proving to be a terrible idea. I really hope the listeners are enjoying it because I'm, I'm not looking forward to where it's heading. To be honest, for me personally. (laughs) My hot take is partly on Lampard and also on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and I think that for both of them this might be their last seasons at their respective clubs. That's not too bad. One out of two. That's not bad. If it wasn't for the delusions of Ed Woodward and the Glazers, I would have had two out of two there. Yeah, fine, he's going to win a trophy and he got second. Solskjaer did okay. Fine. <laughs> fine, I got that one wrong. Alisson's never going to speak to me or producer John again after this episode.
0: My major concern is, I think, Aston Villa. And this is one of the, the clubs that I think fall into a little bit of the ilk of, of Leeds United. I think they'll go down this year. Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> <laughs> we can
4: understand it though. I think, you know, you were new new, new host of the game podcast. You wanted to come in fighting, come in, come in throwing some punches, making some big statements. You went for it and you've fallen flat on your face.
0: All these suggestions show me is that we didn't know how the lack of fans and the pandemic were truly going <laughs> to affect teams. Aston Villa, I'll say it now, click this one up for next year. They'll struggle next season, believe me. Oh, doubling down.
4: This is the the ultimate (laughs) age of modern politics. Hugh Wurzencraft, I can see it now. Double down. I will will be right in the end. I might not be right now.
0: Maybe, Hugh, it's time for you to redeem yourself with another prediction that you made. West Brom and Fulham, I think they're going to go down, having seen them in the championship last season. There you go. (laughs) Yes! But you got one right. That's not too bad.
4: Nailed it. Producer John's not a mean guy. He, He remembers some of the good times as well as the bad. But I think, I think there's more bad times to come, unfortunately.
2: No one's answered the key question. Where is Guilfi going to play?
4: He's not going to. He's going to be James Rodriguez's backup in a position of number ten attacking midfielder that you know doesn't really exist that often in football anymore and doesn't shouldn't exist for a team like Everton, which is why they're going to finish eighth or tenth. That's brilliant. <laughs> kind of right, kind of right. Almost spot on. And also proof that Allison really, really does love gilfie sigurdsson Yeah. Yeah. Three out of ten. And finally we end with a team that We gave a lot of love to at the start of this podcast, lots of reflective praise for Marcelo Bielsa and the way that Leeds play and Patrick Bamford, but it wasn't quite the same at the start of the season on the opening game podcast. I'm confident they'll stay up, absolutely. I couldn't say the same about the other two teams promoted I think that they will win enough games I don't want to say they're going to get relegated but I do genuinely think they'll be in a relegation scrap this season any ideas that they'll be challenging for Europe are, are misguided for me
0: I mean you would think that it, it, it's like a Barcelona level club you know it's one of the great names and and maybe it's just me being a younger person I just don't see it and I, I think they're a great football team but the fanfare, I think, has been a little bit over the top,
4: Hugh. That's a particularly bold move as an opening gambit as, <laughs> yeah, you, as a... a new lead man on the show. I mean, I, they I, might be back in the championship soon, so have to worry about <laughs> I'm really pleased you threw in that championship line at the end, Hugh, because that really that really bailed me out. Because I said they were going to be in a relega- relegation scrap, but now you look
0: more stupid than me, which is really kind of you. Thank you. Well, listen, all I all I heard there were two men, you know, two spineless men who couldn't put their 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 money where their mouth is and say what they really meant and then one who of course could and that was me the only person who's prepared to put themselves on the chopping block each and every week on this podcast and that is why well I don't know what that that Particularly means, except you know, that's why I'm here, I guess. I just, uh, I'd also <laughs> like to get Matt's
4: Matt's take on this because bear in mind, Matt, coming up to the Euros, you just should know that from every show from now on, we're going to be asking you to make predictions so that we can uh, we can we can get you back, get our revenge.
3: So, what you want me to predict that England are going to win the Euros, just so you can laugh at me when it doesn't
4: happen? There you go, you got it. I think we've got it. That's fine.
3: That's, <laughs> England are going to win
0: now. the Euros. Clip it up.
4: <laughs> get it ready.
3: Yeah, but at least at least that you know that's that's the delusion that we all share before every
0: tournament. so I'm in good company.
2: This episode should be called Everyone Eats Humble Pie Apart From You. <laughs>
0: it, look, if I was humble, I would have never made it to where I am. You know, it's just, it's just <laughs> what you need to be these days, Alison. You've got, you got to cut yourself apart from the others. Uh, Matt Dickinson, <laughs> Alison Rudd, Tom Clark, thank you for putting up with me all season and, and of course my awful personality. Uh, plenty more <laughs> for us to discuss this week though. We're going to be talking about that Europa League final. We'll look ahead to the, the playoff finals as well. We've got loads more to come with the Euros this summer, so we're not going anywhere anywhere but remember you can subscribe to the times and the sunday times right now across all of your devices tom thank you matt thank you Alison, thank you very much you can get one month free if you sign up today just go online search the forward slash the game to get started as i say loads more to come over the coming weeks so don't go anywhere we will see you on thursday